Good afternoon. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell. I'm the founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine, and I'm really happy to have you join us today. Uh, we're coming back after a two-week hiatus, uh, took a little vacation break, and uh, we're real excited with today's show. The topic today is uh, making green cleaning sustainable, and we're really pleased to have with us uh, as our guest, Steve Ashkin. He is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, and a leader of the green cleaning movement where he is often thought of as the father of green, green cleaning. And we'll get, we'll get into that too. I think that's an interesting uh, 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 title. Uh, currently, he serves as president of the Ashkin Group. He's the executive director of the Green Cleaning Network, co-founder of Green Cleaning University, and CEO of, I'm going to get this right here, Green to Sustainable. Um, all of which play important roles in his efforts to move the global cleaning industry from green to sustainable. And he, he's been he's been with us a long time in the industry, so it's it's really a pleasure to have you here, Steve. Welcome. Thank you, Bob. It's my pleasure to be here. So, what's you know? I mean, there's there's so many areas we we could speak about, but I I guess. Overall, I mean, I, there's there's a lot going on. Green, green cleaning, um, you know, in, in my career, I've been in the industry since the mid 80s, uh, you know, and I've seen that transformation of that terminology and have, having it uh, rise to the forefront. And, you know, certainly you're one of the people that have been heavy on that impetus to make that happen. Um, so that so that, you know, kudos to doing that. Um, I guess what we you know, first off, uh, let's let's talk about uh, the U.S. Green Building Council's lead. Uh, program and uh, how that, you know, with green cleaning, how, you know, how, how that's transformed and maybe lead somehow transform green cleaning in your mind. Well, I have to begin by saying that I absolutely love the U.S. Green Building Council and the lead rating system. I'm a founding member, first started going to my meetings in 1993, and my experience working with them has very much shaped my career, and lead today serves as the roadmap to a comprehensive green cleaning program. Um, it continues to evolve. We're actually working on the next revision of LEED, including the cleaning credits. So um, uh, LEED has really been instrumental in helping us understand not only products, chemicals, paper, equipment, what have you, but also other important things, uh, training, um, making sure that things are done appropriately, and again, just making it easy for building owners, for purchasers to be able to think about and comprehensively put together a, an effective green cleaning program. So uh, LEED, LEED is up for uh, at least the, uh, the green cleaning procedures aspects are, are up for revision now, correct? Well, actually, the entire rating systems is, uh, is going to be um, um, sent out for comments. I'm going to guess... Uh, maybe third quarter, maybe July, August, September, and then it will be voted on, you know, balloted by the members later this year. But they are trying to update all of the rating system, including the green cleaning credits. And there's still an opportunity to uh, bring comments in on that, right? That's, I think that closes out June 1st. Am I correct with that? Well, thank you, Bob. There's actually two parts to that. Okay. One is, I'm asking people to send me comments relative to any ideas they have specific to the green cleaning credits. 
And for clarity, I serve on the technical advisory group for the USGBC that looks at the indoor environmental quality credits. And for your listeners who aren't just listening to or interested in green cleaning, we are reviewing all of the IAQ credits, testing requirements, all the things that I know you and Susan have been working on for 30 some years. Sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you about ah, that. Nah, it's, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so the entire rating systems are being reviewed. Um, obviously, my expertise is on green cleaning related issues and the impacts that it has on the indoor environment. So, um, so where I was really going with this is I'm looking for input on the cleaning credits that I need to get done by the end of this month so we can submit them, submit them to the tag for consideration to be included in the draft that will go out for comments. But there will be a formal comment period you know, like I said, July, August, September time period for everyone to comment on everything in the proposed um, revisions to lead. Great, and we'll we'll uh, we'll definitely uh, post um, you know post that information on uh, the notes from this show as well as uh, as well as on our website healthyendurance.com, so people will be able to uh, you know reach out with their comments on that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really exciting. I mean, that's, and that was really, I mean, that was a large part of lead, right? I mean, obviously it's with design and the engineering side, but it's also, you know, also encompasses the, the continued operation, uh, operations and maintenance of a facility, correct? Absolutely. And of course there's a prerequisite in lead and lead O&M for a green cleaning policy that drives the, uh, purchase of products and other things. So beyond just the number of points in there, it's something that every project has to um, work on. Um, you know, USGBC understands the important role that cleaning has in creating a safe, healthy, productive environment for the occupants. So um, yeah, the, there's a lot of work. I'm hoping this year that they'll actually increase the points for green cleaning. Um, but frankly, I appreciate that the council is including anything about it because it is so important to the buildings. And frankly, it's important to the cleaning industry. Um, before we go any further, I just want to point out to our online virtual audience as a bunch of uh, people logging in now, uh, Steve, Steve and I will have a. Uh, our uh, discussion uh, for about 30 minutes, you know, once we hit the about the midway point of the show, somewhere uh, around 1.30 or so, uh, we'll uh, open up the floor for questions. Uh, we'll ask that you uh, actually post your questions in the chat. Those of you, again, in the live virtual audience. Uh, Susan Valenti, our editor of Healthy Indoors Magazine, is there as the moderator. Um, she'll cue your questions, get them up to us, and, we'll, and then we'll give you the opportunity to uh, come on camera, open up your mic, and uh, ask questions of Steve and myself. So looking forward to that section of the show a little bit later. Um, so another thing that I think is kind of interesting, I mean, you've, you've been in the industry a long time. And, and again, not to, you know, not to both of us throwing back how, how old we are. Uh, but I remember back in the day, you know, because a lot of a lot of conferences back through the 90s, um, I would be presenting at these various industry events around the U.S. And uh, you were always there. You know, it seemed like you were at a, a gazillion of those uh, events uh, speaking about green cleaning before it was fashionable to speak about it. So what so what is obviously this is a passion for you. So what motivated you to go down this path and uh, and steward this? Well, thank you for asking. And candidly, it's my mission in life, if I can say it like that. 
And I specifically uh, use the term mission because after I went to college, I did a church mission for six years. And that fundamentally changed what I thought our role as human beings are and to serve and to give and to contribute to others and to society. So when I got involved and went back into the cleaning industry, um, it became my mission to be able to not just help clean buildings because cleaning products work, right? It's a mature industry. We figured out how to make a glass cleaner clean glass a long time ago. But what we realized was there are things we could do to make those products safer. There are things we can do to protect worker health, occupant health, and reduce impacts on the environment. So beginning in about 1990, I started really thinking about, well, how do we really do that? What does it really mean? Is it just about chemicals or can we impact the paper products, the paper industry? Can we impact the plastics industry? Turns out the cleaning industry is huge, right? We use 6 billion pounds of chemicals every year just for cleaning commercial and institutional buildings. We use about four and a half billion pounds of paper products. And of course, I'm talking about the important paper products, toilet paper, um, paper hand towels, right? Can't be without toilet paper. Um, so we, we found that out, COVID, right? Come on, right? We worry a lot about copy paper, but I tell you what, if you're out of toilet paper, it's a much bigger problem than being without copy paper. Clearly. <laughs> so we started thinking about all of those things. And importantly, you know, the industry employs somewhere between two and a half and five million people that work as janitors or custodians, maids, environmental service workers, you name it. And, um, it's, and we say two and a half million, but there's such high turnover rates in the cleaning industry that affects about five million people a year and, of course, their families. And I wanted to really make a difference in these people's lives. You know, people don't really advocate for them. There's more support for, you know, migrant farm workers than there are for janitors. And that was something that became my passion and my mission. And to this day, I continue to work hard at trying to make their lives better, to do clean effectively, to do it cost effectively. And I'm proud to say that we've made some great progress. Yeah, you clearly have. It's, it's uh, you know, you can just watching the movement of the industry in the past two to three decades, it's been uh, kind of, you know, awe-inspiring to see, you know, what, what you and, uh, and this whole, this whole movement is, you know, has been at least been able to achieve thus far. Um, but you, you come from, so the, in our pre-show, we mentioned this, uh, you, you, you come from a chemical manufacturing background, right? I mean, it's like, this is something that's been way before even just your pre professional career, correct? That is correct. My family owned a chemical a cleaning product manufacturing business. So I've literally grown up in the industry. And like so many small entrepreneurial businesses, the kids had to pitch in. And, you know, on Saturdays and sometimes Sundays when work had to get done, my parents would take us to the factory with them and we'd sit in the office and try to pitch in where we could. So I really do have a deep understanding of the good, the bad, and the ugly about the cleaning industry. Um, and But with saying that, because I, I don't want that to be misinterpreted, I love the cleaning industry, and I'm very proud to have grown up in it. And, you know, chemicals really are, are an important part of our life. But what I've also realized is we're actually really smart people, and we can find ways to continue to make things better. 
And the better that I want to make is defined as reducing adverse health impacts and adverse impacts on the environment. That's the better we can make it. So, you know, been working in the industry for 40 years now or so, you know, got about another 40 years to go. I'm not done yet, um, but really proud about the progress that we've made so far. No, that's fantastic. Um, what, one of your new things, uh, your new newer ventures, right, um, is the Green to Sustainable. Uh, tell us a little bit about that because it seems, seems interesting. It seems like kind of uh, all-encompassing. You're, you're looking at a lot of different aspects with that. Yeah, this sort of happened um, based on a meeting that I had with my older brother, who is my mentor. And my brother, Peter, is brilliant. He at the time, um, he was president of product strategy for a small internet company that you might have heard of called AOL. <laughs> and so um, he started asking me about my consulting business and how we really determined if our clients and the industry was being successful and really lit my fire on how we could use the internet to really be able to um, capture large amount of data to be able to, you know, synthesize, analyze the data. Um, and um, ultimately, he helped us put together a software company that really could start looking at, um, you know, sustainability related issues. Um, so it's been an interesting journey with that. And my ultimate goal is I want to move beyond just the products that people buy. So we want to get beyond just green products to buying those green products from green companies. And that's really what the goal is. You know, if a company makes a really great green product, but it's being made by slave laborers, or it's being made by a company that's polluting, that's dumping their waste in the river, or, you know, whatever it happens to be, just because it makes a green product, we can do better than that. So what we're trying to figure out is how to move from green to sustainable and how to understand really what constitutes a sustainable company. Well, right. elaborate on that because that's, you know, that's an, that's an interesting topic. And I'm curious to see what, what your feels is, how do we do that? And, you know, um, is there actually a, do you think there's actually a desire uh, among consumers and among uh, product manufacturers to go that route? Um, I think there is a big desire from consumers, both um, household consumers, as well as institutional commercial consumers or purchasers. We see a huge rise in the number of companies doing sustainability reporting, people trying to understand scope three emissions, right? What their supply chain is doing. And, you know, I sit in somewhat of a unique position or our industry, the cleaning industry is in a unique position because it's made up of literally hundreds of companies. Many of them are small and mid-sized companies. And again, the products all work, they work. So we're at a point where we can say, yes, I want to buy this green product, but what are the attributes of the company that makes it? So for example, most um, buildings buy their products from a cleaning product distributor, right? They don't buy directly from the manufacturer. Well, does it matter what the fuel efficiency is of the delivery fleet? Because they're all selling the same products. Does it matter how energy efficient the building itself is, their warehouses, their offices? Does it matter their water consumption or how they're dealing with waste and recycling? 
So we really believe that in addition to scope three reporting for clients, that this is information that will help purchasers differentiate between suppliers and help them make more informed decisions about what they want to do. And hopefully they will encourage better performance. You know, we saw this thing that just happened, um, the ransomware attack on that pipeline on the East Coast, and it drove up all the prices for fuel. Well, certainly a company that's vehicles are much more fuel efficient, will be able to be more resilient in situations like that to compare to one that is not as efficient, that needs more fuel and the impact that it has on pricing and other issues. So I think that we're learning in the cleaning industry, we're learning how to transform a huge sector. And this is what we're really trying to figure out how to do and how to do appropriately. I mean, that's a big point you're making there too, looking at the entire supply chain, not just from the product manufacturer, but like you said, the distribution network that actually gets the product from the manufacturer to the actual users. And, and I, that's probably a bit overlooked. I mean, I would think actually in my own mind, I've, I've overlooked that, you know, that you're, you're bringing a really good point here. Well, thank you. You know, we're trying and we're learning. So, you know, the issues, the key performance indicators for a product distributor that I just mentioned is very different from a product manufacturer. And even among product manufacturers, if they're making chemicals, there are things they're gonna be really concerned about versus if they make plastic um, garbage can liners. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to really think very carefully about, and I'm sure you know the term material, materiality, about what's important to each sector and make it easy for purchasers to identify what data they want to make sure it's consistent across the marketplace. Because the thing that drives people in the industry, my industry crazy, is their customers all ask for different information. How much easier it would be if we standardize the reporting requirements. And of course that's going on globally, but we're trying to just really drill down into the cleaning industry so that we can learn how to make it work. And I think the lessons we learn will be applicable to many other sectors as well. You, you've, uh, you know, I've, in some documentation, I've seen you quoted as speaking about creating a culture of sustainability through the three E's, uh, engagement, education, and empowerment. Tell us a little more about that. At the end of the day, um, these are values as a country, as a society, and hopefully globally, that we all should consider, right? How, how do we continue to grow, right? In the next, what, 50 years, 40 years, we're expecting global population to hit 10 billion mm -hmm. with most of that growth coming from developing countries. And we're even seeing, for example, in China, as they've become more affluent, the amount of toilet paper they buy is absolutely skyrocketing. So we're really trying to think about how we value different things like conservation, how we share those values of what's important to us. And then within individual organizations, how do we agree as occupants of buildings? For example, you know, the lessons that we learned as children, we need to pick up after ourselves. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea how hard it is to clean an office that has boxes and books and files? 
and everything. I do because I have a messy office. So yes, oh, I, <laughs> I I know I'm. Have you know, to talk to you about that. <laughs> but you should see our studio. It's that's another thing. I mean, we have, we have a big sound stage since the, since the pandemic. Uh, we stopped having a live engineer in the studio, and we'll, we'll get back to that again. So so. When, when I'm hosting these shows, I'm actually engineering my own show. So we had to move all of our equipment to the center of the soundstage. Uh, there's racks all over. There's bo- there's flight cases and boxes everywhere. And yeah, it's it's hard to thoroughly clean this space. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Um, one of the first real experiences I had when I was getting to know you and Susan back in the 90s was remember the discussions early on about sick building syndrome. It's interesting. We never talk about that term anymore, right? Yeah, it, it became passe. I, I mean, I think by the end of the 90s, that became a passe term. Uh, why, though? Well, well, uh, um, but if you don't mind, I'm not going to uh, answer that. Run with, run with it. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. So the reason I brought that up was in the 90s, I had the opportunity of meeting and really getting to know the guy at EPA who specifically was working on that issue. And you may recall, because I know you spent a lot of time in EPA back then, you know, EPA headquarters was at Waterside Mall, right? It was just a converted apartment building, low income apartment building that they turned into an office building. Not a great facility. (laughs) Right? Not right, because it wasn't designed for that. And Uh you understand all the problems doing that. Mm. Well, the other thing interesting about EPA is they have all these rooms where they just store boxes and boxes of stuff, right? For all the legal stuff, all the things that they're doing, they, have the, they would store all their stuff there. Well, what, what they learned from that experience was those rooms were never cleaned. And when people would come into the rooms and walk across the carpets and go through all the books and all the boxes, all the dust and all the crud and all the junk and all the contaminants and all the you name it would get aerosolized and then spread throughout the entire building and he explained to me that was the root cause of what the sick building syndrome was in the building it turned out to be a simple lack of cleaning doing the basic stuff to extract those contaminants before it affected other people in the building so these are so when we talk about creating a culture of sustainability, a culture of help, we realize that we all really are in this together. And there's things that we can do in our daily lives that make our environment better, whether it is how we clean it or whether we turn the lights off or, you know, when the water is running in the bathroom because a flush valve isn't working right, that we immediately call the facility manager and just say, hey, Joe, the toilet's running, right? So how do we participate in those things to help make things better? So, and those are excellent points. I mean, we all have a vested interest in the indoor environments we spend our times in, you know, clearly, you know, more than just our homes. Certainly we spend a lot of time at home, but we spend a lot of time in the workplace too. Um, And yeah, I guess everybody needs some accountability, but that goes back to your point where, you know, pick up after yourself. It's it's that same mindset. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if, if we have that accountability, you know, as a cultural thing anymore, Uh, if we don't, we need to get it back clearly. Um, you, so, so you did a, you were participating in a, uh, cleaning industry, uh, poll, right. Or survey, uh, 
about what was learned from the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Um, and I don't have any data on that. I just have that as a side note here. So I, I wanted to pose that question. It, was there anything uh, revolutionary or anything surprising that you learned from that? Well, you know, the main takeaway was for us to recognize, and by us, I'm really talking about people in the cleaning industry, that this is actually a moment in time when people are paying attention to cleaning. You know, facility managers are extraordinarily busy, right? Running a building is hard. Dealing with occupants is hard. Really? Dealing with all the contractors is hard with, with renovations and you name it. Being a facility manager is hard. So, you know, whatever cleaning is being done, that's good enough. It's one less headache. We'll leave good enough alone. If it ain't broke, right, why fix it? But, what what was it, but is, is it not broke? <laughs> that's the question. And let's even say it's not broke, but that doesn't mean we can't make it better. And that's the moment that we realized from the survey more than anything is that this is a window in time when people are paying attention to cleaning. They're paying attention to what they've done. And for a lot of facilities, they've increased the amount of cleaning significantly from pre-COVID time period. And so now we get to work with them to say, okay, what did we learn from COVID that we wanna retain? Because COVID was focused on protecting people's health. So what do we want to retain? What was just total theater that we should just get rid of? Should we go back to what we were doing pre-COVID? Or is there something there that we've learned to make protecting occupant health better? And so that was the main takeaway for me that, gee, while people are listening, we got to get our act together, share the message, and hopefully we can retain some of the things that we've learned. Yeah, I mean, that's been my view in general for the indoor environmental community, you know, all the different uh, silos and, you know, d different sectors um, is that while, while we just experienced, uh, you know, once in a century, hopefully only once in a century, um, global pandemic that really got people's awareness about their indoor environments uh, attuned more than I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, so what, what do we, what's the takeaway? Do we learn anything from that? Do we actually make substantive, uh, substantive improvements, you know, or do we just go back to business as usual? And uh, how do, how do we, how do we take the momentum or at least the, the, the awareness, you know, because it's across the whole sector, right? Public, the public's more aware about the indoor environment than they have been ever probably in this country. How do we take this and, and move forward and make it a positive thing overall? I mean, that is the challenge. And, you know, that's why I'm proud to be part of the U.S. Green Building Council's lead technical advisory group. Um, right now, um, we are working on um, IAQ issues, cleaning issues, at least in the group that we're working on. Obviously, LEED is reviewing everything, the energy, water, site, all of the stuff. And, and also the well, um, well rating system, health and safety rating system. So there's a lot of work that's being that's going on comprehensively to really think about these issues. And certainly my focus is what do we really learn about cleaning? Um, how do we make it better? How do we select better products? How do we integrate new technologies, new disinfectant technologies, all these different things so that we really can make things better um, going forward? 
And I think that's super important, you know, again, that, that we, we take this opportunity because we do have an opportunity to do, to do more and, and maybe push the issue further. Um, I want to uh, mention, to, again, to our live uh, virtual studio audience, we'll be taking uh, some select live questions from you guys and allow you the opportunity to come on camera and ask uh, questions of Steve and myself. Uh, so please uh, post what you would like to uh, ask in the chat box. And again, those of you who are in the live studio audience can do that. Um, and uh, our, our moderator, uh, the uh, editor of Healthy Indoors Magazine, Susan Valenti, is standing by there to uh, cue you guys up and get you uh, ready to come on camera with us. So that's, we definitely like to you know, have you uh, take this opportunity to pose questions to us. Um, Bob, hey, yes. before you um, ask your next question, if I could sure. say something to your audience. Absolutely. I know, I know most of my comments so far has been about facility managers and commercial institutional buildings, but I do have a very deep background in consumer household cleaning related issues. So if you have questions about your own home or doing laundry or any of those kind of things, I'd be happy to try to help you there as well. Well, that, that leads me to uh, just mentioning, at least, that you were the uh, director of product development for Seventh Generation, uh, with that whole product line, uh, which is a, a green cleaning product line for consumers. Yeah, working at Seventh Gen was awesome. Um, it really, again, another thing that helped shape my attitude towards life and what was possible. So, um, yeah, and also it helped me understand the significant differences between working in the household, you know, individual consumer market compared to working in the institutional, commercial, you know, professional purchaser market. How do those differ? I mean, obviously, I, I'm assuming there's a there's a massive difference in just how you how you present products and how you know the whole uh, the whole supply chain network. Uh, what are what are some of the key differences between dealing with products that are based for commercial use versus uh, consumer use? So, you know, I have some, some large um, institutional building owners that I deal with, some universities, large corporate campuses and what have you. And we'll have those campuses that will buy literally millions of dollars of cleaning products a year, millions. And because of the size of their purchases, they have real purchasing people that spend hours a day hours a day reviewing technical data sheets, looking at safety data sheets, you know, interviewing suppliers. And it's very different compared to what a household consumer does. You know, I mean, how many household consumers have actually looked at the safety data sheet for the bottle of bleach they use for their laundry? You know, so it really is that issue that's had a significant difference is just how purchasing works, how much time and attention, and how willing they are to really learn about cleaning products. So that more than anything has made a huge, huge difference. And candidly, that's also one of the reasons why I focused uh, my work on the commercial side of the market. I mean, in the pre-show, you mentioned that, um, and I don't know where you got this data from, but that the average consumer spends six seconds making a purchasing decision for a cleaning product. That's not true in my family. I'll tell you, my, my, my wife, uh, is uh, she's a hawk on this stuff. Well, um, yeah, you know, it is some of the consumer research that's been done in the industry. And, you know, basically what it says is what really drives most consumer behavior. And remember, this group, I mean, people are spending time actually listening in. So 
we have to recognize that those of you who are listening really are at the top of you know the the food chain but the average consumer is they make their cleaning product purchases based either on the cost you know what's on sale the coupon they have in their hand or what their grandmother used to buy or used to use so and you know this is a low interest category i'm sorry to say it's not like I'm going to put in the same amount of research and time that I would buying a cleaning product as I would if I'm buying a house or buying a new car or buying a piece of jewelry or, you know, things that I'm actually passionate about. So those are all things that sort of affect how people think about it. And frankly, what we have to do to change consumer behavior, right? We just have to understand where they're at. And for many people, how do we make it easy for them? And that's frankly what we've done, both on the household side as well as on the professional side. We've made it easy for them to buy green products with confidence. And of course, as we began the, at the beginning of the discussion, the next is how do we get them to buy green products from green companies with confidence? So, which leads me to the question is the term, you know, we, we talked about sick building syndrome, you know, and that term's kind of, it's not, it's not unapplicable, but it, it doesn't get used as much. And, and is the term green, you know, you, you've heard the, you know, the whole greenwashing, right, for the last decade plus, two decades of, of, you know, that term being overused. Is that still, is that still the right, the right term or is there another term or, you know, like, again, what what resonates and and this, and this is a twofold question what resonates with with the commercial industry right the, the property management the people that are involved with you know cleaning facilities such as schools and public buildings and that sort of thing and then the general consumer and and is green still the the way to reach them well you know if i was a marketing person and there's now literally hundreds of companies that have gotten their products third-party certified from the likes of EPA Safer Choice Program or Green Seal or Underwriters Lab Ecologo Program, literally hundreds, hundreds of companies, thousands of products. So green is a term that's well understood and accepted and we have standards built around it. But personally, I don't really care what you call it. You can call it polka dot, you can call it blue, you can call it Steve's green card. We're gonna call it Bob's safer products. Oh boy. <laughs> but, the, but the concept really is, green is a concept that simply is, we want to buy and use effective products because they got to work, right? No one wants to buy something that doesn't work. So we want effective products that reduce health and environmental impacts compared to traditional products or other products used for those purposes. And what we're trying to say is, it's not just it's good for health, but we'll give the user cancer. You know, it has to simultaneously reduce health and environmental impact. And clearly we're capable of doing that. So again, the concept is what matters. It's really, to me, not the term. You can call it anything you want, I don't care. But I am gonna tell you that there are plenty of options out there to buy effective, performance effective, cost-effective products where the formulators have worked really hard to make ingredient selections and other considerations to further reduce 
negative impacts on health and the environment. And hopefully your listeners will make the effort to reward and encourage those companies by buying their products, right? Because the marketplace speaks. There are no government regulations that force you to do this. They're all legal, but informed consumers will drive the supplier behavior. And that's what, you know, I said, I love the US Green Building Council. This is what I learned from them. We're using the competition in the marketplace to drive improvements. And the improvements we want is reducing adverse health and environmental impacts. So uh, while we're waiting for him to come on, our first uh, first audience question is going to come from Terry Sofer. So Terry, um, I think Susan will queue you up so you can uh, unmute and come on board. Um, so we'll, we'll take your question as soon as you're in. Uh, but you know, prior to that, it, I, you're right. I mean, that, this whole this whole thing you mentioned, Steve, as far as being able to get consumers to drive it. I mean, it, that's true for all the indoor environmental you aspects. You only talk about yourself and you're right. only nice when you want something. It has to be in your interest, not in my interest. Okay, that yeah. was interesting. <laughs> Terry, you still there? All right. Hi. <laughs> you want me to go ahead? I do. Take, take the question. Um, yeah, I don't know what that other was. Um, <laughs> it wasn't you, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, this is a problem with live broadcasts. You know, when you when you open up portals, you just never know what's coming in. <laughs> no, uh, I I just got out of the uh, out of my papper outfit uh, from doing a small remediation project, uh, but it didn't change my voice. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Steve and I commend you for your leadership in sustainable cleaning as you've defined it in my opinion it certainly is the approach needed for both a healthy planet and healthy people so um thank you kudos to you for that leadership thank you thank you um my question um uh is what your ideas are for solving what i see as a really serious problem and that is that there's very little ingredient information disclosed by most manufacturers. And as a result of anti-regulatory politics in the last two decades in particular, um, there are currently virtually no federal effective regulations or policies requiring anything close to full disclosure of chemicals or other ingredients that may have adverse health or planet effects. Um, As you know, the uh, Uh, the old MSDS, uh, Material Safety Data Sheet requirements, uh, were never full disclosure. Uh, They had a number of exemptions to them, but at least they provided some lists of chemicals in in products often. But once those were reformed during the Obama administration into the current SDS um, Safety Data Sheet requirement, they're now basically one big loophole. It's very seldom if you look up an SDS sheet now that you find anything disclosed. What you find is a lot of unknown, no information available, um, and often um, little, if any at all, information about what chemical ingredients are in a product. What, what are your thoughts about that issue and how to solve it And um, do you think it's because we basically in the U.S. have always had a 
a, an approach of letting the free market put material uh, put materials out there and not regulate them unless there's proof that there's adverse effect? Or what are your thoughts on all that? Well, I have just a couple of thoughts. One is I recognize um, the situation that you're describing. And there's a number of efforts that are currently underway in the advocacy community to drive um, uh, more transparency in ingredient disclosure um, based on some legislation from California and some of the other states. And they're very hopeful that there will be a federal program um, that will get through Congress. That is, if anything ever gets through Congress these days. But there, there really is a lot of effort underway to address the problem that you're describing. Um, so on the one hand, um, please support those organizations. Um, they are working hard on it, and um, that's one opportunity. On the other side of it, there's a simple solution. And this is really the one I recommend. Buy certified products. Buy products that a third party like EPA Safer Choice Program or Green Seal or EcoLogo UL's program. Just look for the little seal of approval on the label because their standards are um, clear and transparent. You understand where the requirements are. They have a third party looking at everything and they are getting that information that's being disclosed to them, even if it's not on the label or not in the SDS sheet. They have performance requirements. Their standards look at acute and chronic health related issues. They look at environmental fate related issues. And that's what makes it easy for consumers. You know, one of the things that always concerned me was most people aren't chemists or industrial hygienists or toxicologists. So even when they get the information, they don't know what to do with that. And it's hard to get. So relying on certified products really makes it easy, at least as it applies to the cleaning industry. So that candidly in a nutshell is what my recommendations are. Follow up, Terry, while you're here. Um, I, I understand your point and, and I agree in general. Uh, I think a, uh, uh, an example of the problem with that though, is that for instance, on the COVID-19 disinfectants uh, under the EPA uh, list in, uh, as you well know, um, there are many products there that have ingredients in them that uh, have been documented as having potential adverse health effects and others on list in that um, basically are safer uh, than, than those others. Uh, so I think that's an example where even though EPA, in effect, has listed those and implies that they're safe, uh, or at least that's how the public takes it, right. uh, there's still a problem. Well, uh, you know, and you've very um, uh, uh, astutely have recognized part of the problems we have specifically with a class of cleaning chemicals called disinfectants. And the first thing I like reminding everyone is it's just one of the tools in the cleaning product toolbox. And I'm talking about disinfectants because we're also using all purpose cleaners. We're using glass cleaners. We're using, you know, in a household, we're using laundry products. There's lots of stuff. 
Disinfectants are particularly difficult because they're regulated by EPA under FIFRA, as I'm sure everyone listening in understands. But with having said that, um, EPA Safer Choice um, uh, Environmental Labeling Program, I think they call it, um, the DFE program actually looked at safer active ingredients, things like hydrogen peroxide, things like citric acid, um, ethanol. Uh, so there's a number of active ingredients that they've identified as being safer. And all of the products on list N are designed to be efficacious against uh, you know, the SARS-CoV-2 virus or you know, things that are similar to them or harder to kill than them, right? But um, in terms of safer products, that's one way to, to do it is to look at the, ingre the active ingredients themselves and select from that list, from, that, from list N, from those active ingredients. And of course, look at whether the concentrates are ready to use products and dwell times and things like that. But there's a lot of information on list N that can be helpful still to um, select safer products and products that really have active ingredients that are considered to be safer for health and the environment. You, you touched on the delineation uh, between cleaning and disinfecting or sanitizing products. And I think that's a big one because obviously, you know, just in, in light of what we've uh, just been going through with this pandemic, right? There, there, seem, there seems to, at least at one point early on in 2020, a uh, carte blanche use of, you know, disinfectants being just, you know, literally blasted through all the indoor environments as as something you know something to be able to do some some form of action um and it's, to me it seems like it's a bit of a double-edged sword right because it seems like maybe there's some misapplication or over application um thoughts on that you know and again that versus cleaning because it's two different things right disinfectants are not cleaning they're killing microorganisms and obviously with a virus like SARS-CoV-2, you're not killing it. You're just inactivating uh, an, an organ. You know, it's not really an organism. It's not really alive, but, you know, so it's that, that there just seems to be a lot of confusion there. Well, I mean, let's face it, a, a year ago, a year ago at this time, we were all, well, those of us who are older, I'm in a high risk category. I'm 65 years of age. Um, my significant other has pre-existing health conditions. We're in high risk categories. And we were really concerned about COVID. We didn't understand how it was transmitted. We, di there, we didn't understand how deadly it was. So it made sense that we were throwing everything at it. And we had you know, the workers in the spacesuits walking around, not only disinfecting you know, with foggers and misters, every surface in a building, as well as disinfecting sidewalks and streets and stuff like that simply because we didn't know and we were gonna do everything we can to try to protect the public, which made total sense. But of course, as we have learned, right? As we have learned, and as CDC has advised us that um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is primarily transmitted through inhalation, right? Um, there is some potential for surface transmission, but it is extraordinarily low, right. right? Extraordinarily low. So do we really need to be spraying all the surfaces with disinfectant? I'm, you know, what CDC says is cleaning is really important. That's what CDC says. Mm -hmm. Cleaning is important. 
disinfecting, not so much. Cleaning is important. But the thing that I want everyone to take away from this is the importance of thorough cleaning. You know, in our commercial buildings, we have janitors cleaning 25,000 to 40,000 square feet in an eight hour shift. The average house in America is only 2,300 square feet. Can you imagine cleaning an entire home in one hour or in 30 minutes? Not well. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I guess you could, you could say you're cleaning it. Exactly. And that includes taking the trash out, right. and, you know, cleaning the spots off the windows and doing the bathrooms, everything. So what we really need to get back to is thorough cleaning. Remember, I don't really care whether the bugs that were on my desk, I don't care if they kill them before they remove them or they remove them while they're still alive and we wash them down the drain where they're yelling and screaming you know, because they're alive. It mm. doesn't matter. The key is we remove them from the surface. And I have this concern about this disinfecting and spraying the disinfectants on all the surfaces and leaving them because- There's residual, uh, yeah. That's right. Right, yeah. And all the other soils that are there because it's not just the biologics that we're concerned about. I'm concerned about- um, the pHs from, from auto exhaust. I'm concerned about lead dust. I'm concerned about all the other things that are on that surface that we're leaving it there, including the residues from the chemicals that you properly pointed out so that our occupants are touching the surface and then touching their face and touching their food and eating it. So we have to get smarter about what cleaning really means to do it thoroughly, right? That's the key. It's not spraying all the stuff around. It's not even the frequency. Because if you do a, a half, uh, I got to think of a polite word. Now nah, you can say it. <laughs> if you do a half-ass job, it doesn't matter how many times you do it. We yeah. <laughs> clean thoroughly. And we candidly got to be willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, that, and and so you need more staff, you know, and, and traditionally in the last, at least in my time in the IAQ industry, all I hear is, especially in school districts where they just keep reducing the amount of, uh, you know, the, the facility staff, cutting budgets, cutting, you know, cutting, expecting less to do more and things just don't work that way. Um, they don't. And I hope these are part of the lessons we're learning from COVID-19 is how important cleaning is. Obviously, IAQ stuff, incredibly important. Mm -hmm. But there's other things that we have to be concerned about. We have to be concerned about staff infections. We have to be concerned about, you know, uh, food-related issues, right? Mm -hmm. uh, salmonella, other types of foodborne sure. illnesses. And these are all sanitation issues. Sure. So and in those cases, you know, the, the use of biocides makes sense, right? You know, especially dealing with pathogens. Um, I don't, with SARS-CoV-2, I, I don't see it really because it's, you know, it's aerosol transmission predominantly. So, you know, even if you sterilize services, saying you could actually use cold sterilants, which I'm not saying you should, obviously, right? Because those, those things are usually highly toxic. But if you could sterilize services, and as soon as, uh, you know, another uh, set of occupants come in this space, you're potentially, you know, you're bringing the new vectors in anyway, and it, the services are irrelevant. Well, of course. And 
But, you know, we, we really can address this. We know how to address it. We just have to be smart about it and make sure we're just not doing things for theater. Right? There's this guy who wrote for the Atlantic magazine, Derek Thompson, who introduced the term, at least to me, you know, hygiene theater. Right. Yeah, I've so, seen, it, seen that right? said a lot. Well, and, there and, was. There clearly was. Well, you know, and there are times when, yeah, I do want people in the moon suits to go in and to decontaminate an area. There really are. Um, ISSA has a program, the uh, GBAC, the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council. And, you know, the people who founded it were the people who cleaned up after the Ebola stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, SARS stuff, really experts on decontaminating really problematic areas. So there are times when we need to do that. Mm -hmm. But in our homes, in most office spaces, our schools, things like that, we just got to figure out how to clean properly. And because time is so limited, money, resources are so limited, are there other things we can do? You know, like in our schools, can't we get our kids to pick up the pencils and the paper and the crayons that are on the floors and to sort of organize their desks so the custodians can spend time cleaning and doing the things that professional cleaners can and only should be doing? You know, in our offices, are there things that we can do so that our janitors can clean more effectively to protect our health because we're allowing them to focus their time and effort on the things that really matter. So, you know, earlier you asked me about, you know, the culture of hygiene. This is what we're talking about. I wish I could magically say we're going to double the amount of funding for schools. You know, we, we know that they need, they have indoor air quality problems, right? We know that. We know they're not staffing as well as they could be. But that's not going to happen. The amount of money is not going to happen. But there are things that we can do so that we can use our resources more effectively to protect our occupants' health. And while we're at it, let's make smart decisions so that we're not inadvertently creating more environmental problems. Totally agreed. I mean, and, and that same mindset you know, is applicable to even like mold remediation, you know, the whole logic of we'll come in and we'll spray some, you know, we've got some magic silver bullet product that we spray in the space and that's all you need to do. And it's like, no, you actually need to clean the space. You know, it's like this, this mindset of, I don't know where this came from, but this whole thing of killing, you know, and, and I mean, I, and I guess the mindset's based on pathogens, right? If you have things that can cause infections, then you do need to kill those microorganisms. I get that. I mean, it, it totally makes sense. But in a lot of the cases that's, you know, we're dealing with allergic reactions reactions we're dealing with you know triggers from chemical reactions and, and yeah it's just it's not that simple but maybe it is <laughs> it's like clean 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 services and, and there's new technologies that we can use and you know one of my favorite tools has become a squeegee i love squeegees for cleaning um surfaces not just glass really you know, surfaces squeegees work great okay great smooth surfaces on. You know, just pretend that you're cleaning, uh, you know, a big glass door um, and, and do it on your countertops and tables and stuff like that. They're very effective. And the use of the squeegee actually contributes to the cleaning effectiveness. So there's things that we can do using UVC, right, to disinfect spaces. Surfaces where, where right? you can radiate the surfaces with contact time. Sure. So I, I just see claims with UVC that scare me, though, you know, you know, rolling a robot into a space and saying that it gets behind all the nooks and crannies and gets everything. I, I just see I, to me, that seems implausible. 
You know, it has to be direct radiation on a surface. But I think we're learning. And I think there's applications that we can take away from some of that kind of stuff. You know, CDC told us that we need to pay attention from a cleaning perspective to high touch surfaces. So can we use UVC on, you know, the, uh, the touch pad on an elevator, right? Can we use UVC on our computer keyboards? Because I don't want to spray chemicals on them. You know, so can we get smart enough? You know, we don't have to have one size fits all solutions. We're smart enough to be able to actually chew bubble gum and rub our tummies at the same time. I like to think but, we are. Yeah, some, some, some people, at least some of the times, right? So, and even in the cleaning industry. So I think that we just can be smarter about it, really think about what we've learned and really be committed to, of course, uh, you know, protecting our building occupants, but let's be smart about it. And I think we've learned a lot and we can do it smarter. And that's how I define green cleaning. Let's do it smarter. I, I think those are wise words. So Susan queued something up for me prior to the show, wanted me to ask this question. So you're, uh, I understand that your son works with you now in, in one of the one capacity. Is that true? Um, um, he did. He worked oh, he in my did. software company. Um, he was a data, data analyst for us. But actually, he's taken a, another job working oh, okay. for dad. It must be challenging, um, was challenging. Um, but um, he's actually uh, works for the manufacturer of the Moderna vaccine. Oh, okay. And, and frankly, it's always interesting for me to have conversations about their cleaning and quality control protocols for something that is taken very seriously. And, you know, one of the projects we're working on actually in LEAD is how do we improve um, demonstrating that cleaning has been done effectively? And that's one of the things we're actually working on is there new technology using a laboratory test, um, you know, uh, portable units, ATP meters. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with them. Can they be taken from pharmaceutical plants and food processors and healthcare and applied to schools and office buildings, you know, and other more institutional and commercial settings and done in a way that's cost-effective, easy, and dr drives meaningful results? So there's things that we can do that I think will make things much better. Excellent. Um, we're coming up to that point where we're all, almost out of uh, program time. Uh, so I want to give you an opportunity if there's a, any burning thought in our, at some, some point that we didn't get did an opportunity to speak about. Um, you know, if you'd like to throw something in or at least closing comments um, and uh, we'll get into our wrap up phase here. Well, you know, the most important thing that I want to just say is to thank you and Susan for inviting me on your show and my thanks to all of the listeners who are tuning in. You know, you folks are at are important. You're the leaders. You're the people that others really listen to and look up to. And I want you to know that what you're doing is important. We're truly saving lives and making a difference in the world. And I really do thank you for who you are and what you are doing. Well, that's, that's very kind, Steve. Um, de definitely appreciate it. We, um, you know, I, I mean, this is a passion project for us too, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, and, and it has been for a long time. Susan and I spoke about getting involved in trying to get this education out to the industry and to, you know, general public 
20 plus years ago, <laughs> you know, you know, back when we were, you know, we were all younger and uh, doing conferences and uh, yeah, so it's, it's, I think it's really important all, and I really applaud the work that you've done throughout your career and continue to do because I think it's enormously important for what we're doing. Um, so what, what I want to do is uh, actually give a little mention to um, just us, you know, we'll do a plug for healthy indoors magazine. Um, first off, you can get access to all the back episodes of this show, the Healthy Indoors show, as well as our magazine. We have an online digital publication. It's been going over eight years now. Um, all the back issues are available there. Um, the show, the we have an audio podcast from each episode with the show. So that's that's all available for you. Um, we also are debuting, and I've been saying this for a while, but it actually is debuting within the next day or so, uh, the Healthy Indoors Online Global Community, which is a new platform that we're launching uh, that'll allow you to interact with other professionals and other uh, interested parties, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. Um, so think of it in terms of more than a social media platform because it's a networking environment. Uh, we'll be doing live streaming there, events, all kinds of repository for information, and most importantly, a chance for you to communicate and interact with others in your field and in related fields around the world. So uh, that's something, again, if you go to the healthyindoors.com uh, site, if you click on community, you actually will get um, to a link where you can pre-sign up to be part of that. So that's that's pretty exciting. And this is, I'll give you a quick screenshot of what it looks like. This is, this is a tease. This is a tease, but it's basically a uh, platform that allows you to interact, uh, interact with others, have have discussions. It's just it's we're so excited about it. I, I just can't even tell you how excited we are about it. We're very excited. Um, and then, you know, one of the other things that we have coming on is we have another show. OK, as if one show a week isn't enough. Uh, next Tuesday, we debut our new Healthy Indoors After Hours show. And this is a show. Uh, Joe Medosh, our uh former co-host of this show and I are coming back on an evening show. So it'll be a 90 minute format. Uh, we're really excited. We'll launch it next Tuesday from seven to 8.30 PM Eastern time uh, with us. will be joining us for that show. will be uh, Louis Chang and uh, Rafer uh, Wallace. Uh, they're coming live from Shanghai, China on the show. And also later in that program, we'll have Sean McCumber uh, coming to us live from North Carolina. Um, we're, again, a little bit different format than this program would be more of a uh, envision getting into a discussion with a bunch of people uh, that you're, you know, at the end of the day at a conference, you know, we're sitting at the lounge talking. So a, a, even a looser format than this show, if that's possible, Steve, I'm not sure, um, possibly. So um, I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, be here, Steve. Uh, this is this has been fantastic. It's great to catch up with you after, I don't know how many years. I don't think we've seen each other in person for close to 20 years. So um, again, kudos to all, all the work you do and continue to do. Um, so we'll be back next week, next, um, next Thursday for the uh, Healthy Indoors, uh, the regular uh, weekly show. Um, joining us next week, and coincidentally, is uh, our, my former co-host, Joe Medosh. He'll be on uh, next week's show. We're going to be talking about what is indoor air quality? What is IAQ? That'll be a fun one. We're really looking to have... Uh, our audience members come in and participate on that. Um, we're hoping to make that kind of like a, a, a field day where we'll all be just going at it and thro throwing our attitude and ideas up on the space. So that'll be fun. So again, next Tuesday night, keep your eyes open in your inboxes for more promotional material on the after hour show. That'll be available on healthyindoors.com. Also on our new online community. Of course, if you're not a member of the community, you won't be able to see it there yet. <laughs> anyway, so that, that's all my spiels. I, I, that's enough for one day, right? <laughs>
So, Steve, again, thank you so very much. Um, we'll see you guys all next week uh, for the Healthy Indoors live show next Thursday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, until then, I'm your host, Bob Krell. Please stay healthy. Please stay safe. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.